Let me just tell you what it is we're doing here this morning so that you can enter into it more fully. This is our fall academic convocation. It's the official start to the school year. And the faculty are lined up outside. The president and, and his leaders will lead in the faculty. They'll all be in their academic uh, gowns, which is called academic regalia. And the, the meaning behind this is that in the, in the, in the long time past, at universities, faculty members would teach in their academic regalia. And the gowns that you will graduate in, in the old days, the students would study in their gowns. This was partly uh, to show respect for the academic enterprise. It was also partly because it was Europe and it got cold and these were warm. Another reason for it was it uh, showed, it did not show any class distinctions between rich and poor. Everyone had the same. So the idea was that in a university where you're studying the universe, so to speak, God's creation, that we, we would all be equal in that study in terms of our humanity. But in terms of our learning, we would not all be equal. And that's why you'll see these, these are hoods. They, were actually, they can actually be pulled up over a person's head when it's cold. And the, the color on the hood designates the discipline that the person has received a master's or a doctorate in. And so uh, red, for example, is theology, and uh, each discipline has a different color. And the other thing you might note is that you'll see a lot of different types of gowns, and that's because our faculty have studied all over the country and indeed all over the world. And the gowns are designed by each university and have a long history to them. And so that's why you'll see the many variations of colors. It's a time to celebrate. It's a time to take seriously our commitment to the educational task. And you'll notice at the end of your program that you as students will be making a pledge about your commitments for this uh, school year. And so you might want to look at that uh, before we get to that section in the program. Let's stand together. And I'd like you to be silent for just a moment. And after the silence, I'll ask the musicians to begin the processional. And we'll sing the first verse of the opening hymn, uh, which is entitled, Come Christians, Join to Sing. And on the second verse, the faculty will begin processing in. Uh, we will repeat the last verse twice, and it's printed in your bulletin that way, so there'll be four verses. Let's be quiet and, and focus our attention on the Lord. Father, for this coming year, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's join in singing the opening hymn. It's very exciting for me to welcome each one of you and to officially open the 1997-98 academic year at Westmont College. The ceremony involved in this occasion is appropriate for it marks the beginning of a very significant period in each of our lives. And it also reminds us of the rich Christian and academic traditions that have led to the life and heritage of Westmont College. This morning I have the privilege of installing Westmont's senior most professor, Dr. Robert Gundry, in the college's first endowed chair. This represents an historic event in the life of the college as we pursue an increasing number of ways to ensure that our institution provides the very finest academic program possible. 
Some years ago, a neighbor of Westmont, Mrs. Kathleen Smith, left a generous bequest to the college. Born and raised in England, Mrs. Smith and her husband Wolcott moved to Montecito and lived here for many years. They came to know Westmont through the students they hired to do yard work and other household jobs, and through former President Roger Voskile, who became a friend and advisor to them. The Smiths had no children, and after Mr. Smith's death, the contacts with Westmont students and President Voskile led Mrs. Smith to leave a large, unrestricted gift to the college in her will. And our college trustees have set aside a substantial portion of this gift to fund Westmont's first endowed chair. The Kathleen Smith Chair in Religious Studies recognizes Westmont's commitment to academic excellence within the framework of the historic Christian faith. Its establishment brings added recognition to our college as a nationally ranked institution of higher education. And I'm personally grateful to Mrs. Smith and to her generosity in making this chair possible, as well as to the students who represented Westmont so well to the Smiths, and President Voskile, who served her interests as a Christian friend. Thank you, President Winter. I can think of no one more deserving of this honor than Dr. Robert Gundry, a beloved teacher for over three generations of Westmont students and one of the most respected New Testament scholars in the world. He is truly a rare find. Let me mention some of Dr. Gundry's accomplishments and contributions to our community through his work. Since joining Westmont's faculty in 1962, Dr. Gundry has published seven books, some rather voluminous, most rather voluminous, and numerous articles in very distinguished scholarly journals. New Testament colleagues from around the world honored Dr. Gundry in 1994 with a festschrift, a collection of essays celebrating his scholarship. This is a highly unusual distinction for a professor at an undergraduate institution, even one as distinguished as Westmine. One of Dr. Gundry's books, which many of you have used or will be using this year, is entitled A Survey of the New Testament, and it has been translated into three foreign languages for use as a text in other countries. Recognizing his outstanding scholarship, Westmont awarded Dr. Gundry with a Faculty Research Award in 1989. An ordained minister, Dr. Gundry has represented Westmont in the local, national, and international community through preaching, teaching, and presenting papers at churches, other educational institutions, professional societies, including the prestigious International Society for New Testament Studies, and most recently doing radio interviews about his latest book, First the Antichrist. In 1993, he was invited to teach an advanced graduate seminar at Fuller Theological Seminary. On campus, Dr. Gundry has provided administrative leadership through extensive service on the most crucial faculty committees. Some of these have included the Presidential Search Committee, the Faculty Senate, the Academic Task Force and Planning Committee, and the Long Range Planning Committee. He has also served terms as Vice Chair of the Faculty and Chair of the Religious Studies Department. In addition to all of these activities, or perhaps because of them, Dr. Gundry has managed to continue excelling as a teacher. His ability to get students excited about the material he presents in the classroom 
has extended throughout his career at Westmont, and graduating seniors have recognized him three times with the Teacher of the Year Award. First in 1969, my own graduating class, by the way, very bright group. <laughs> then again in 1979, and most recently in 1996. Dr. Gundry has fulfilled all these roles with integrity, discipline, and Christian character, and he continues to provide a role model for us, his colleagues and students, in the areas of intellectual, spiritual, and personal growth. I would like to invite Dr. Gundry to join us at this time at the podium. <clears throat> Bob, we're grateful for the many ways in which you've enriched the lives of your students, the lives of your colleagues, and Westmont College. You've deepened our knowledge and appreciation for the New Testament immeasurably. You've provided vision and leadership for us, both personally and professionally. And you've served Christ in our community with faithfulness and integrity. We're privileged to honor you as Kathleen Smith's Professor of Religious Studies. This is a medallion which indicates the, uh, the chair which he is assuming. Unfortunately, the medallion just broke off of the ribbon. <laughs> and therefore, I'm going to give it to him instead of putting it around his neck. President Winter, you have used the word honor, but for me, this is a privilege. And so I would like to express thanks to a large number of people. If she's listening from the great beyond, to Kathleen Smith, to the uh, development department of this college, led by uh, Mr. Steve Baker, to the administration and the Board of Trustees of the College for providing unfailing support throughout these years, to my fellow teachers for providing continuing education, to students such as most of you in this auditorium who have given me constant challenge and inspiration. Above all, to my wife, Lois who was the first to suggest I take the path of biblical studies when I had no intention or desire to do so. I owe her much. My desire and my hope, and a very earnest one, is that before long, a good number of my colleagues on the faculty will be installed into their own equally important endowed chairs. Thank you.
Our Old Testament reading comes from Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. My son, or my daughter, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come wisdom and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice. And he preserves the ways of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. The New Testament reading from Ephesians 4:17 through 5:2. Hear the word of God. Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. They have lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned Christ. For surely you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So then, Putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Here ends the word of God. Several weeks ago, my wife and I spent the evening with two men who graduated from Westmont nine years ago. They're part of a group of ten men who became close friends during their years on campus and who have maintained their relationship with each other since that time. Actually, they get together twice a year, once by themselves and now that most of them are married, once with wives and families, to reminisce catch up on their experience since last time together, and just enjoy their friendship. A lot has happened in those nine years, probably more than you can imagine, and certainly more than they dreamed of when they were sitting here those brief years ago. The road is a little bumpy. In fact, I think they would tell you that life out there after college is just plain hard. I'm proud of these young men and believe they are a credit to Westmont. Relatively speaking, Westmont graduates are doing very well. But I want us to live our lives here on campus in the light of realistic expectations about life after college. About half of these men went on to graduate work right from Westmont. Others plan to begin graduate study as soon as they're able. Some have taken jobs they disliked. Others have found positions that are very rewarding. They've been engaged, have broken their engagements, married, have had children, and one may be facing a divorce. Most of them are deeply involved in a local church. One graduate has cancer, and it could return. For 12 months, the other nine men came up with his mortgage payments until he was able to get back to work. One as a child with a very serious heart condition. Out of the ordinary experiences, no, I think not. Those of us who have lived a long time can testify that the road does get bumpy along the way, even for so young a group as these recent alums. There's an expression we use a lot in talking about a college like Westmont. We don't just prepare you for a job, we prepare you for a life. Well, do we? We ask them, did what you learned and received at Westmont prepare you for this? They were actually very positive in their reflection on their Westmont experience. But the question is a haunting one for me. We talk often about these issues among the faculty and staff. Are we really giving you what it takes to do this life? This hard, wonderful, challenging, joyous, painful, rewarding life? Of course, very few colleges today in our country even pretend to prepare their students for all of life. Most have reduced the historic mission of American higher education to a limited series of academic exercises 
that provide information about selected subject matter. But our mission at Westmont is no less than making a difference in the world for Jesus Christ. Through graduates whose lives have been changed by a comprehensive educational experience, we care about your development in all areas. And so we must ask the question, how does the uniqueness of Westmont provide a stronger and more adequate base for understanding this very complicated world, for succeeding in one of the new or rapidly changing careers, and for dealing with the personal accidents and surprises you will encounter? How can any college, any four-year experience, prepare you for a lifetime as challenging as most people eventually face. Of course, in a very real sense, we can't. We can't do that for you or to you. It is your life and it is you who must choose whether to become prepared, whether you are willing to expend the energy, the really hard work to prepare yourself. We're simply the resources. It's always surprising and, frankly, disappointing to me to find that some of our students spend all four years here and graduate with a diploma from Westmont, but seemingly never get it, never develop their minds and hearts to the point of being truly educated Christians with the maturity and wisdom, competency and commitments that we so passionately want for our graduates. It is possible to go through Westmont and not become prepared for life? And is it clear what we mean to be an educated Christian and to be prepared for life? The total range of experiences and issues and roles and accidents and responsibilities that will be faced by Westmont students at some point in their lives is beyond imagination. There's no way that you can be prepared specifically for each of these possibilities. So the real issue is this. What are those resources, those inner qualities of character and competence, character, competence, and knowledge that need to be developed in order to leave college with confidence that it is going to be okay, that in a very real and profound sense it will be okay even when everything around you is not? I've thought of several resources that I know you could develop at Westmont if you see them as important and if you choose to make them a priority. And I believe they could make a very significant difference in the quality and effectiveness of your life. This morning I'm going to talk for a few minutes about just two of these. And the first is curiosity. Curiosity. Some have said that a college is wasted on the young. By that they mean that so many people later in life wish they could go to college again, for by then they've lived enough to have some profound questions, to be aware of so many more things that they now long to understand. I noticed that when I was on the faculty at Michigan State University and taught at night in the adult extension program in neighboring communities. My students there normally had full-time jobs, and found it a challenge to complete their homework assignments. But they came to class with great questions arising from their life experience. So
So in many ways, we may be giving you answers to questions you have not asked. And that's never very rewarding for you or for your professor. We want to be resources to you, the best resources we can possibly be, to answer, or better, to help you answer your questions and to enable you to become the person of maturity and knowledge and commitment that you've chosen to become. But if you have no questions and no clear personal mission, it is a tough road for you and for us. To oversimplify a bit, if you are sincerely curious about this world and how it works and does not work, about yourself in that world, about the reality of God within yourself and within history and with the sciences, within the sciences and culture. If you have some questions that are important to you, that bother you, that you want answered, I can safely predict that you will become an educated person. Or put it the other way, if you really don't have many questions and don't really care about learning, you will not become an educated person regardless of whether you graduate from Westmont or not. In some ways, your questions define you. When we meet an adult, we find ourselves asking what they do, that is, what is their career. We hope to learn something important about them by means of this question. Well, we could learn something much deeper about a person if we knew their questions about life. I wish I could ask you this morning, do you have some questions? What is it that you are eager to learn at this point? Recently, Helene and I were talking with two Westmont faculty members about visiting an art museum in Paris. We enjoyed walking around and learning about the paintings from an expert or docent. But these two professors convinced us that there is something better. If our time in a museum enables us to pursue our, our questions and special interests, to learn things beyond or beneath the surface of what we see in the paintings. If our observations can help us build patterns of understanding not only about art but about society and culture and history, then we have accomplished something far more grand and rewarding. The museum becomes the resource for our questions and we become more than passive learners. Is your college education to be a series of museums through which you walk, led by a docent? Or are you going to utilize us as resources to answer fundamental questions you have about life and culture, to find within the artifacts the expressions of the yearnings and goals, the values and beliefs of people as they have sought truth and understanding? A long time ago, perhaps before you can remember, you had lots of questions. We were created that way. Why was a word you learned well as a very young child? If your parents are like me, it probably drove them crazy. But somehow, over the years, those questions have been squeezed out, maybe by our educational system, I don't know. And we have felt other pressures and pursued other goals. We need to become more childlike more excited about what is around the corner, the chance to fill in more pieces in the puzzle of life. One of the great tragedies of growing up for most people is their loss of curiosity and their zest for learning. 
Dr. Roger Voskow has been such a great model and inspiration to me personally of one who is always excited about learning and experiencing something new. How appropriate that our library is named in his honor. Dr. McIntyre, in her wonderful address to new students on Saturday night, spoke of an openness to be dazzled. What a beautiful way to describe the joy of seeking and finding answers to wonderful questions about life. I wish you would take some time soon to get away by yourself, at least an hour in some quiet place, and consider the person you would like to become and the resources you will need to be that person. And then come up with some questions that will need answers in order for you to have those resources and become that person. Briefly, the second inner resource I would encourage is congruence or consistency. I'm convinced that most of us live lives or fill social roles that are compartmentalized and even dramatically inconsistent with other aspects of our lives. It's not hard to find examples of this, particularly in other people. It's much more difficult to see it in ourselves. This is another reason that all of us need some friends or family members who love us enough to be honest with us about our lack of, of congruence or integrity in our lives. If we are arrogant in the way we relate to others, or even worse, in the sharing of our faith, this is inconsistent. When a group of Westmont students spend all day Saturday in a very tough and challenging youth ministry across town, and then after returning to campus dump their trash in the parking lot, this to me is inconsistent. We as Christians say we want to protect the environment as good stewards and caretakers of God's creation, but we tend to litter and destroy our precious natural resources as much as anyone else. When we're willing to give our testimony to children in Ensenada, but then on the roads around campus, drive too fast and pass other cars driven by older people who have chosen to drive more slowly, I believe this is inconsistent. We show respect for the Mexican culture while we're in Ensenada, but then evidence disrespect for our Montecito community and our neighbors. This is the kind of thing that brings charges of hypocrisy. We as Christians seek to express God's love to the entire world, yet we don't always show respect for the people who are outside of our own subculture. Of course, it's a universal tendency for people to disrespect other groups and cultures that are different. So it's not just Christians who do that, but we should behave differently from others because of the living presence of God in our lives. But there's a more subtle form of incongruity that I want to share some thoughts about. Part of our evangelical heritage fears or distrusts higher education. This group never tires of using those passages of scripture which point out the dangers of being puffed up by learning, or the verses which speak of God's wisdom as being of a different order than worldly wisdom. These are important verses. I used them with many of you in a talk on campus last year. But if misapplied, they can be used as a crusade against the supreme value of careful scholarship, or even the search for truth. There is nothing inconsistent about piety and scholarly work, worship and study, 
and emotional sharing of faith and careful attention to the truth. To be sure, there is a difference between a service of Christian worship and a laboratory experiment, but there should be no conflict between the spirit, the mindset of the Christian student participating in each of these valuable activities. And there should be great overlap and mutual support between the classroom and chapel, or even student vespers. All of us need to work harder on this. Christ preeminent in all things is the motto of Westmont since its founding. We would like that to be at least one of your personal goals and mission statements as well. We have too many part-time or superficial Christians who have not learned to integrate, to bring into conformity all aspects of their lives around the depth and breadth of an authentic commitment to Jesus Christ. As I look out at you this morning, I'm reminded of the enormous responsibility that I have. This time of year, I feel it so deeply, sometimes with an edge of anxiety. I'm sure that I felt it nine years ago when I addressed the Westmont community that included those 10 young men. And even today, I'm struggling with a series of questions. Did we give them what they needed to make it through the challenges they are now facing? Did we really equip them? Are they still asking the right questions? Are we asking the right and the tough questions? I pray that nine years from now, you will be dealing successfully with the complexity in your lives, in large part because you have learned and lived well during these four years. It is up to us, but it is also up to you. It will require that you become a congruent person and a person who asks a lot of questions. We can start at a simpler level with even one question. Just be sure to choose it carefully, for it will indicate a lot about the person you have chosen to become. One good question will ensure a great year as we learn and grow together. May God bless each one of you as we, the members of the Westmont College community, commit this year to him. Thank you. I'd like to ask the faculty and staff to stand, please. And if you'll find your way to the litany of commitment, and students would also find their way to that in the program, I'd first like to lead our faculty and staff in the commitment that we wish to make before God to the academic enterprise and to you as students. So if the faculty and staff will join me in making this commitment out loud. We, the faculty and staff of Westmont College, acknowledge the lordship of Christ over all areas of our lives. We commit all our strength and energy to build up our students toward intellectual maturity, not just in knowledge, but also in wisdom. We commit in faith to build up our students toward spiritual maturity in thought, word, and deed. And we commit to develop in our students and ourselves a literate witness of the gospel of Christ to the world and a reverent appreciation 
for all parts of God's creation. If the students would stand and the faculty remain standing, please. The students would join me in the litany of commitment by students, please. We, the students of Westmont College, commit ourselves to becoming passionate and educated disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to accomplish this by tackling the academic process with vigor and totality. We commit ourselves to Jesus Christ, and we desire to praise him for enduring the cross and offering us true and everlasting life. Our aim is to cultivate an eternal perspective as the context for our lives. We commit ourselves to learning to love each other. Toward this end, we purpose to form habits of lifelong learning centered on the person and precepts of Jesus Christ. Now Dr. Gady will bring a closing prayer to us. Shall we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We come before you at the beginning of this academic year acknowledging that we worship a holy and righteous God, that you are the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, and the only redeemer on whom we can depend. And so we hallow your name this morning, Father, and acknowledge that you alone are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Teach us this year, we pray, to be builders of your kingdom, not our own, to see creation from your perspective, to understand others as you have understood us, to be hearers of your word and doers also, that your will might be done at Westmont, just as it is done in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, not all A's, not a daily feast, not a party every evening, not success at every turn, but Lord, just take care of us today. Give us this day our daily bread that we might this day honor you with all that we have, all that we are, and all that we might one day become. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. We acknowledge, Lord, that we are sinners saved by grace, and we joyfully and gratefully thank you for what you have done for us on the cross. Help us, Lord, to return the favor to forgive those who nail us to the cross, to extend grace to those whom we deem ungracious, to be in word and deed bearers of the good news of Jesus Christ in the classroom, in the residence hall, on the athletic field, in Santa Barbara, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for we are weak and you are strong. We are silly, and you are wise. We are easily tempted, but you are easily provoked to deliverance for which we are most grateful and most needy. Thank you, Father, for your deliverance. 
for your forgiveness, for your daily sustenance, for your kingdom, for your authority over heaven and earth. Help us to remember who you are this year at Westmont so that we might be the people whom we should be. For thine is the only kingdom and the only glory and the only power which is forever and ever. Amen.